Broadcasting from Orchard Park, New York, and Boca Raton, Florida, you are listening to Freight 360. Whether it's breaking news, tips to increase your business, or just some good old sports talk, this podcast is all about having a conversation about the world of freight. I'm your host, Nate Cross. And Benjamin Kowalski. Let's talk freight. All right, welcome back for episode 103 of Freight 360. Ben, we're, we're here with another great week, good content. We got Blythe Brumley on here with us. We're going to talk all about marketing today. Blythe, welcome to the show. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, Ben, I got a question for you real quick. What's your weather today down in Florida? Probably a little warmer than hers. Another Florida native, but it's, I think it's like low nineties, but the real feel with humidity is like 106 today. It's. I thought I was going to beat you for some reason. We're having like a a ridiculous heat wave come through at least Buffalo. And it's, it's like 90 and with the humidity it's terrible. I was cutting my grass earlier and I just take like three breaks and I have a small lawn. It's like, like I use a push mower and I get done in under an hour. So it's not like it's a big lawn, but I was dying. I went through like three bottles of water and tomorrow's supposed to be even hotter, but you're probably beating us. I mean, it's 86 right now. Like I said, in the middle of the day, direct sun though, with the humidity, it's pretty brutal out there. I mean, if I'm out in the middle of the day, I'm in the pool and that's about it. <laughs> gotcha. I want to see what the real feel is here right now. It's got to be, we got to be like mid to high nineties. We got a heat in- showing on AccuWeather. Real feel is 94. It says in downtown Buffalo. Um, I'm in Orchard Park where it's pushing 90 degrees actual plus whatever that real feel is. But yeah, Blythe, where are you anyway? I- I'm Jacksonville, Florida. So okay. it's, it's similar sort of weather patterns. It's that time of the year where people don't really go outside much just because it's too hot. Um, but then um, we, we usually if we do go outside, it's usually near water somewhere. Gotcha. I mean, I'm just trying to soak it all in because once we hit August here in the Northeast, it's like summer's over. Like mm. take it while you can get it. And then like the leaves are going to start turning. They're already starting to fall off some of my trees in my yard. So yeah. Oh, that's frightening. That's as a Floridian that terrifies me. I, I just, I can't, I don't know how people up North do winter. Um, <laughs> I do snow. I, 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 that's all I know. So. <laughs> But uh, well, hey, welcome back to Freight 360. If you've been with us for a while, if you are brand new here, welcome to Freight 360. Make sure to leave that review and hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, and wherever else they're getting, I don't know if the word is syndicated, but wherever they get pushed out with that RSS feed. Um, if you hit that subscribe button, you get notified as soon as we drop a new episode, which as you all know, it's every Friday morning at midnight and you West Coasters get it a on Thursday night at 9 p.m. because you're three hours behind. So um, leave those reviews and five stars and all that good stuff. We appreciate it. We got some good rankings. Obviously, the website's launched. A lot of great content in there. We're, we're making little tweaks to it, Ben, and I'm happy with what we got. So it's good stuff. Taking Freight 360 to the next level. So, all right, let's do a little bit of a quick sports recap. We're in preseason football. We've got a Jaguars fan and a Bills fan and a Steelers fan on the recording today. Uh, I just want to say Bills uh, absolutely destroyed the Chicago Bears in the preseason game last weekend. Mitch Trubisky looked amazing in the first half playing against his former team. I I also love how he goes from being a starting quarterback and takes a backup job at a team that he actually feels he's got a future with. So he threw for like over 200 yards in the the first half alone, so it's pretty good. Um, Ben, what happened with your Steelers? I didn't watch the game. I, it's not televised down here and I don't have the NFL ticket, but from what I had heard, they did beat Detroit. Um, but again, that was about it. Yeah. That's preseason. You never know. I, yep. actually, I think, 
I think I saw like a replay of it because they played either Saturday night or Sunday. Saturday. I, yeah. I saw it re-televised on Monday and I saw Roethlisberger playing. And I was like, he's <clears> taking <throat> some snaps in the pre unless it was another highlight, but I was I was one, you know, because some teams are like, is it worth the risk to get a player, you know, a starting QB out there in preseason? Um, I know Buffalo benched like I don't know, half half a dozen starters because it just wasn't worth the risk in, in the game. But uh, Blythe, your your Jacksonville Jaguars, um, Tim Tebow. I mean, I know you got your thoughts on him with his age, but I just think it's hilarious <laughs> if you saw the video of he. So he got caught. I know we talked about it last week, and I've talked about it for a while. It's excited to see how my man crush Tim Tebow would do um, re-entering the NFL as a tight end, and he just had a terrible missed block, and he got cut like either that day or the next day. But well, I think for for most Jaguar fans. Um, we cringe at the they're just hearing Tebow's name because we've just been so, I guess, battered down by the folks who are Tebow fans, but not necessarily Jaguar fans. Yeah. And so for years, we have heard that the Jaguars need to sign him. The Jaguars need to sign him. He was offered a role to compete for the starting quarterback position back when he played in Denver and Denver was really er, trading him. He was offered yeah. a spot with the Jaguars or the Jets. And Tebow chose the Jets. I chose. Know, I didn't know that he had an option with with Jacksonville. That's he did. Not a lot of people know that Tebow though is very. He's from the area. Say, how far, a, so how far is Gainesville from? Well, Jacksonville? he went to school in Gainesville, so Gainesville is about an hour and a half away from okay. Jacksonville. But he lives in uh, Ponte Vedra. And okay. he grew up in the Ponte Vedra area, which is where like TPC Sawgrass is. Uh, the PGA headquarters is at. So it's um. It's a, an area of town that's probably, I would say, like on the outskirts of Jacksonville. Um, yeah. So, but the beaches area. So, Jacksonville is so large already. Um, but he's pretty much from North. We just say North Florida. Um, okay. So, he's gotcha. from the North Florida area. And so, of course, a lot of his fans wanted us to sign him and they want to ignore the fact that uh, he was offered a role here and he chose mm. a bigger market and he chose a position that he historically has said that he didn't want to play, but he chose it for the New York market. So when Urban decided to bring him in, I, I, at this point, it's just whatever, because we have Trevor Lawrence. He's Tebow's not going to compete for the starting quarterback position or any quarterback position. And so it's kind of just like, whatever, at this point, I knew he wasn't going to make the (laughs) final roster and most fans. And I went to the first preseason game here in town um, and I saw a considerable amount of Tebow Jaguar jerseys. And I just hope that all of those people who did that (laughs) save their seats. Yeah. The only Tebow jersey I have is a Florida Gators jersey from when he played in college, obviously. And it's really hard to get a jersey like that. There's like a there's like a secondary market because they you can't buy a college jersey like the way that athlete mm-hmm. at least at the time I don't know if they've changed it now with them talking about athletes being able to make money True. off stuff but you couldn't at the time and I got it like ten or twelve years ago and like my dad had to buy it off of some other guy who got it through I don't know, it was like a black market basically but um, that's the only <laughs> black jersey market Tim Tebow jersey. <laughs> It's so. wild that the, the, the cult following that he has um, speaking critically about him has, has got me in trouble a few times on, on local sports radio. So well, hey, I, maybe, <laughs> maybe he'll take a career in golf if he's, you know, being in that area and, you know, baseball hasn't seemed to work out. NFL hasn't seemed to work out. Take your, I think take your chances at, at the he's just a, a, I mean, he's just a guy that is people gravitate towards him. Yeah. Um, and they're not, what has always bugged me is that, 
the people who claim to be Jaguar fans or claim I will support the team because of one player. I just think I just don't follow that mindset when it comes to football. It's team first for me when it comes to football, whereas like in basketball or like the NBA, I follow the players. So it's I think it just Tebow and Jacksonville. It's a very unique, um, I guess, feeling towards him. Like, I I don't think anybody would say that he's a bad guy or that they hate him. But, but there's a certain caliber and performance the coverage of him. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you, you know, it's funny is you've seen a lot of that with Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, right? Like people that have just become Bucks fans out of nowhere, though. And that's super, like you said, it's very unusual for the NFL. So good stuff. All <laughs> right. So sports, good stuff. We'll see how the preseason wraps up this week before they get that nice uh, bye week before I call it a bye week, the week off before week one starts. Um, in uh, the second weekend of September. So, um, Ben, talk to us about our friends over at DAT. Taking the guesswork out of freight with DAT. The DAT Load Board Network is the largest on-demand freight marketplace in North America, connecting freight brokers with available capacity on any lane. Grow your business with tools that allow you to find new business partners. Plus, you can quickly qualify and onboard new carriers. And with the industry's leading freight rate data, you can make clear and confident pricing decisions. Check out the show notes for a free month of Trucker's Edge, Power, and Express. And Express. There, there we it go. Is. Hey, if one of us can't get it, the other one can. I got, I got it on my show notes in front of me now because I stumbled over it last week. <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. But yeah, check out the show notes. There's a link there. Um, also, you can, for any of our affiliates... Um, whether it's load boards or TMS or you name it, we've got an affiliate section on our website that will be updated probably in the next, I don't know, day or so, I would imagine, with all the links to get that stuff. So you can always just go to freight360.net. There's the about tab in the drop down that should have an affiliates um, section in there. So uh, good stuff. Well, hey, Blythe, um, Digital Dispatch. Talk to us a little bit about who you are, where you came from, and what is Digital Dispatch? Because we want to talk about marketing. Um, but first, we've got to kind of lay the groundwork here. So talk to us about all that. Sure. So oh, it's a long story. Um, I'll try to keep it brief, though, um, as much as possible. But I got started in freight uh, more than 10 years ago. I started off as an executive assistant at a 3PL here in Jacksonville, Florida. I was also working on a side hustle, a sports and entertainment blog um, that I worked on sometimes during work and then sometimes most of the time in the off hours. Uh, so when my boss found out, the, the CEO found out that I was creating you know, a website and creating content and working on social media for that brand, he was like, well, why don't you start doing that for us? And so then he started investing in me. I was handed over the the keys to the website, all of the marketing. I believe we were HubSpot's second ever logistics company on their platform. Um, So it was very, very new to the game. This is like back in like 2008, 2009, where social media was just getting rolling. The iPhone was just getting rolling. Um, So we were very new to the game. So I worked for them and, and did all that for five years until the company unfortunately closed down. Um, sort of left in a position of, do I want to stay in freight or, cause I was getting offers from other companies. It was sort of, you know, like, like the, what is it? The vultures sort of hovering over like a dead yeah. body, yeah. <laughs> just picking off all of the talent from this company. I mean, most of us were just, you know, devastated that the company that we had put a lot of time and effort and energy and love into was just came crashing down. And so it's just a rough time, I think for me personally, 
So I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a severance package. So I just, I took a few months off just to figure out what was going to be the next move. Um, still working for my boss in some capacity. Uh, but then it got to the point where he said, I can't afford you anymore. And that was my wake up call to figure out what I need to do next. Um, so I said, well, uh, I checked out at this local magazine. They had put out an advertisement that they were looking for a new copy editor. I had never copy edited in my life. Um, I'm just a blogger. So I sent over a bunch of articles um, that I had written for my website and sent it over to them. They loved it, um, hired me the, pretty much the next day, and they promoted me to editor-in-chief within two months. I so, want to hop in real quick and ask a sure. question. So during this time off, did you ever think to yourself, should I go to Barstool? Did that ever cross your mind? Well, did, like, did you ever, Barstool like, you ever was, was fairly new at the in? time. It, it was fairly new at the time. And I, I, one of my buddies who actually is uh, Kyle McNaught and we're at Freight Plus, he told me early on, Blythe, you need, because we've been connected sports-wise, sports blogging world since those days. Um, but he told me, he was like, you need to check out this little company called Barstool. They're doing a lot of video content. I think you would be great for them. And I was like, I'm a writer. I don't do video. Like, I just want to blog. I just want to write and then share my content with with everyone. I, I didn't have the vision then to see it. Um, and now, you know, of course, here I am <laughs> like doing a video <laughs> interview right now. Um, so, so a missed, a missed investment opportunity, especially career wise. Um, so anyways, I, I worked for that magazine for gosh, like three, two years. Yeah. Two years. And then I got an, I got a role at a local sports uh, radio station and because they were starting up an all female football show, the first football show in the country hosted by all women. And because the magazine and the radio station had, you know, some uh, advertising partnerships that we knew about the show before it launched. And so when we found out about the show, they were like, well, we have the perfect girl for you because she's absolutely obsessed with the Jaguars, probably too much obsessed with sports. Um, you should, you know, just have a conversation with her. Had a conversation with them. Me and the other girls just sort of hit it off from the jump. What turned, what started out as what was going to be just me appearing one segment a week turned into me just being a full-on co-host. Um, so I, I nice. didn't, you know, I never went to broadcasting school or anything like that. Sort of trial by fire for the overwhelming majority of my career. Uh, so I did that for about five years, and during that time, I had, I had left the magazine. So during that time, I had you know, the, the sports broadcasting gig, but that's anybody who's worked in local sports knows that that's, it's not enough income to sustain yourself for very long. Um, unless you're one of these big time hosts that have been around for a while. Um, so I kind of knew that I was either going to have to move to a bigger sports market, a, a market that had more than one pro team, or I was going to have to, you know, take a shot with my marketing agency. Um, during that time, I also went back when the first logistics company closed uh, my boss had ended up starting up another logistics company. Um, so by that time, it was well established. And I went back and worked for him for about a year. Um, but then he also got to the point where he was like, you, he was like, you need to go out on your own. He's like, the, the growth potential that you want here, you're not going to find. So he straight up just said, I, I need to push you out of the nest. It's time for you to do your own thing. And so that's when I launched my own agency, um, Digital Dispatch. The, the brand was born. Um, shortly thereafter and coming up on my three-year anniversary. So did all that about a year ago. I, I stepped away from my sports entertainment podcast. I, I sort of you know, bowed out of that and started up the Digital Dispatch podcast and uh, it awarded me a show uh, on Freight Waves. Now I host Cyberly on Freight Waves. 
and still have the podcast, of course, and, and offering uh, tips and solutions for uh, anything from, you know, building your own site in-house, outsourcing the site to an agency, outsourcing the site to a freelancer, and then building up your content marketing and, and getting in front of your customers and potential customers. Nice. And I think the name Digital Dispatch has such a good ring to it. So I'm, I'm you. glad you got that one before somebody else snagged it up. I know Ben and I have, uh, go, it's funny going through like the, the trademark phase when it comes to like building a business, like never would have thought Freight360.com had its, was its own domain we, that we couldn't get our hands on. And um, yeah, it's funny, but you got Digital Dispatch. It's got a good ring to it. Uh, so who, I guess your, your target audience, or I guess I shouldn't say audience, the target clients that would be a good fit for you, are these like smaller to medium-sized brokers or what does that look like overall? Because we, we want to talk about marketing, obviously, and how it applies to, to freight brokers. But what, so what, where is kind of that niche for you? So the, the niche for me is because, so for, for part of my career, I've only focused on growing 3PL. So, so really okay. that mid-sized 3PL and carrier. Um, so that's really where the sweet spot is for me because I worked for both an asset-based carrier and, an, and a non-asset-based 3PL. Um, so it, I, I have the best, I guess the best of both worlds, I okay. guess you could say. But I also really, really, there's, I, I really have a soft spot for the entrepreneurs out there just doing it on their own, doing it by themselves. Um, so I have some solutions on my site that are for them, like some of my free courses that I offer, um, you know, marketing, uh, starting your own video podcast, uh, I call it a video cast. And uh, so I offer those courses for free because I, I come from a blue collar background. I come from that, that single worker mindset and I still want to be able to help those folks yeah. who aren't there yet to afford the custom services. It took me a long time as a business owner to figure that out, that I can't be everything to everyone. Um, so now I focus on, you know, be holding that hand of those mid-sized companies, those growing companies that don't necessarily have the budget or the expertise or the time to hire an in-house marketing team. And they want to have somebody that they can trust that they can be sort of like their outsourced CMO. So that's yeah. how I act towards for, you know, a handful of custom services clients. And then I'm working on some additional solutions for those growing teams, especially the, the one person marketing team, because that's where if you do have a marketing person in your office, they're likely performing seven different jobs, or it's the, the, the owner of the company or the founder of the company that's also doing the marketing on the side. So, so that is another sweet spot um, that, that I'm going after with some of the more, um, you know, the, the, the template solutions and the course solutions, education, that sort of thing. So that I can, you know, hopefully get them to a place where, you know, one day they can afford, you know, more sure. custom services like an agency. So you brought up a good point too. And I'm curious, Ben, what your thoughts are, because you've, you've experienced big brokerages, small brokerages, you've coached, you know, all sizes, agents, W2s, broker, licensed owners and all that. But Blythe, you mentioned that, you know, sometimes the, the marketing person is the owner of the company and they just became the marketing person by default, not by choice, not by design. It's probably not the best fit for them if they can afford to have somebody else taking over that. But Ben, have you, have you ever seen someone that knows nothing about marketing trying to like spearhead it and it just oh, is terrible? every day. Yeah. Every day there's an example or an instance. And part of me makes like, it makes me happy to see that people are pushing outside of their boundaries. They're trying to learn that. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to bump your head. That's part of learning and growing. So, I mean, I think that's part of it. The other thing that struck me, 
that, you know, you had just said, Blaith, in regards to, right, like learning that lesson that you can't be everything to everyone, right? I had heard somebody say once that most small businesses, even mid-sized businesses, die from indigestion, not starvation, right? It's trying to do everything and be everything to everyone. And we see that in freight brokerage too, right? Trying to move everything from like, you know, heavy haul to produce and the next year prospecting intermodal. And it's like, find what you're good at and go deep, right? Being shallow and wide really doesn't provide much benefit. And even if you do grab a lot of customers, they're short-lived and they tend to go away anyway, right? And I think you're a great example. I think the agency is. And I think, you know, finding that niche and going deep and being able to provide value for those companies is really where it is regardless yeah. of whether it's marketing or brokerage. So one of the one of the things I wanted to hit on here was good marketing versus bad marketing. Because wh- what I've seen is people that don't know how to do it properly, but still try it and they just continue to fail and fail and fail, but they may not even know it. Um, I've got, you know, I've, we're probably all um, victim of falling into somebody's email list, right? From LinkedIn and they just email you stuff. And it's like, this just looks so absolutely terrible. I wish I wish you had never even sent me this garbage. I wish I if I had just found this person randomly, I would have given them more credibility than if they actually than them reaching out cold and just looking like absolute shit. So the the good marketing versus bad marketing, Blythe. I'm, I'm I want it, I want your take on you know where did I guess where does somebody start with marketing? Do they because some people are like oh I need to have a website, I need to have a call to action or a contact form, I need to. Uh, run ads. I need to do this, that, and everything. But um, so, where does where does somebody start as far as you know? Say you're a freight broker or a brokerage, um, and you want to make your company marketed effectively. What does that look like? I would say it starts with having conversations, and it's something that has taken me a very long time to learn. Because in marketing, I think so many of us have been taught the, the the HubSpot model where you set up your email sequences, you begin your onboarding, you're sending these templated emails, and it's it makes that process easier for the company and easier for the marketer. It doesn't resonate anymore with the end user. The end user normally can spot those templated emails, meeting requests, that have nothing to do with me or my problems. They have everything to do with that person wanting to set up a meeting and wanting part of your time without explaining why and, and without doing the research. And I think that that's where we let a lot of so what I call MarTech vendors really sell us on numbers and metrics that don't matter anymore. And, and what I mean by that is a lot of times marketers will, will say they'll invest in a HubSpot platform, which side note is a very good platform to use when used in the right way. But if you're sending out the same templated emails as thousands of other people, you're not going to stand out. So the, the way that you stand out is by understanding your customer on a deep level. And that is your customer and that is your lead. Are you the one having those conversations? What topics are they bringing up? What problems are they experiencing? What questions are they asking you? Having those conversations from the jump 
will fuel the rest of your marketing, your website copy, how you email, who you target, uh, what, what you put in your advertisements. Though the, the lingo that your customer and your leads are using is what you should, the link, same lingo that you should be using in all of your marketing. So let me ask you this question. So a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people we talk to and coach are new in their journey, right? In fact, I would say probably the average, you know, is in their first year, in their second year, you know, they've got a book of business, but I don't know that they've talked to enough people to necessarily know those questions, or maybe they aren't tracking them. What would you say is a good way to start or to compile or to even start, right? Like, let's just say we've got a new brokerage. They've been in business eight months and they've got four or five customers. They're rolling revenue. They're booking trucks. They're looking at maybe hiring the next person. And they're like, hey, we need marketing. And they've got the owner who's likely putting a couple of posts out on LinkedIn, a couple of things on Facebook. They probably don't have the budget yet. They're trying to determine, do you spend money on hiring somebody? Do you spend it on marketing? Like, how does a company like that start? Like, wh- where would you point them, I guess, in that direction? Would you have them go through like an exercise to like answer or to ask some of these questions? Like, where would you point them? So where I would point them is to start up what I call a lingo library document. It's a Google Drive document. You keep it bookmarked and you keep it readily accessible so that you can jot these things down when you're having these conversations. Because most of the time, people who work in a freight brokerage, they're on the phone constantly. They got a million things going on. And so what they're not doing is they're not taking time out of their day to really listen to what questions are and paying attention. You have to train yourself to pay attention and remember what are the questions that they're asking me on a regular basis? Can I add those to my website so that I can answer those questions before they ever reach out to me? Um, Can I have a document that I can send over to them that's already completed that contains a lot of FAQs? But then you're also keeping track of those conversations that you have on a regular basis. So I keep a lingo library document up on my computer nine times out of 10. It's bookmarked so I can easily find it. So if I'm having a conversation with a lead, if I'm having a conversation with a current customer, the questions that they're asking me and the phrases that they're using that lingo, I am adding those to the document as soon as the call is over. I just, I I try to make it a habit to do it every time. That's really good. It's funny you said that. So I was working with a client earlier today and I was helping them compose some emails that were going to go off to intermodal. And I've just done a lot of intermodal. So I know, like you said, when you just kept saying the word lingo, I'm like, that was literally what I did earlier. And I was like, if you word this in a way, you're not bragging, but you can use words that to the person that knows that very quickly do you establish like credibility and trust because you have to have done this to kind of know what these things mean, but they also don't sound way above somebody's head. And, you know, in a short way, if you're tracking that and you're, like you said, compiling it in a document, you can use those, whether it's email marketing or it's like you said, your website copy, or it's a newsletter, whatever that is, that's really how you can convey some of those things that you've learned without sounding, I guess, really salesy. Yeah. And I I would say, too, that a lot I mean, a freight brokers thinking about the people that they're going after. A lot of those people don't know the lingo that freight brokers know. And so it also I I think we have a habit in freight of using all kinds of acronyms. Everybody's afraid to ask what such and such means. And so being Mm -hmm. able to have that lingo of what your target audience is using goes a long way. You can educate them in the future, of course, as they start to learn more about how you operate and how your business helps them. But having that lingo of what they use 
goes a lot further, especially, and I learned this the hard way, especially in your advertising, because you can think that everybody knows what a, you know, a cost per click is that, that acronym or some of the other marketing acronyms, but nine times out of 10, if you're not working in the trenches of that particular industry, you're not going to know what those acronyms mean. And so I think that we, we have an issue educationally of, of be, we need to be better about explaining what those phrases mean and then using the phrases that our, our customers and leads are using. That's a good point. The acronym thing, it's, it's funny because different industries, t- a lot of industries have acronyms that like people are just like, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> yesterday, like, in, you texted in, me NLT yesterday and I went, what? And you No went, later than, yeah. The, ar- <laughs> yeah. the army is notorious for it. There's an acronym for everything in the military. But like in freight, think about some of the basic ones that, let's, let's say you're, you know, you're developing your website and it's going to be customer facing and some of the sections, not every customer knows what an MC is like a motor carry number, or they might not know. Like if you talk about um, produce and it's potatoes or onions, and it's going to go by a hundred weight and it's CWT for cent weight, right? They may not know what that means or mm-hmm. uh, pallet PLT, right? Like, well, I guess that's not an acronym. It's just an abbreviated version, but a lot of that stuff like that, the lingo, and again, Blythe with the alliteration of the lingo library, <laughs> good stuff. But um, yeah, people can get really lost in that. If you don't, uh, if you don't have it clearly defined. Um, so there's kind of two sides of it. The way I just understood you said is, you know, when you're, when you're talking with a prospect, you can use the lingo to them. But then if you're talking to somebody that may not understand your lingo, you should be able to clearly get that, get that point across to them without them having to wonder like, what does that mean? Like Ben, you, you deal with containers, right? So there's like, you got, um, you're, actually, you know, Booking numbers, general, container you numbers, numbers gate and reservations, you got everything, you know, it's, it's insane. So not everybody knows what all that stuff is. So, right. So I think uh, it's, it's speaking at the level of, of your customer, because ultimately you want them to trust you. You want them to look at you as the resource where they can ask questions of what's going on in the market, even if they're, they, they ultimately become a customer. I'm sure over the last year and a half, they, they've had some questions as to, to what's going on with their freight. And so being able to explain it in a way that they understand ultimately benefits you. And I think sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a situation where we want to try to prove that we know a lot yeah. by using all of these different phrases. And it's like, that's great and all, but your end goal is to get the customer and get the prospect to understand what the hell you're talking about. Yep. I want to hit on another point you made too there is with uh, like templated emails and sequences. So um, I found myself early on in sales falling victim to exactly what you just described. Like, oh man, HubSpot can just make these sequences. All I got to do is like, hey, the the lead form already captured their information. All I got to do is basically hit a button. It's going to email them every three days and make a task to follow up. If they don't respond to me or book a calendar invite, great. And then my my conversion was so bad. And then what I, what I realized and where I've gotten to now years and years later is the only time I'll ever put somebody into a sequence is if I don't, th- if I've tried to qualify them and I don't think they're a good lead and it's kind of my letdown sequence, still trying to give them some value, let them know what's going on, send them some resources, yada, yada. If I get a lead that I can qualify as, as quality, I don't ever put them into a sequence. I will always write a personalized email back to them or I will send them a personalized text message um, in, in hopes to find a time to chat on the phone with them and have a personalized phone conversation that's not scripted. So, and I think that goes a long way. And you made a good point, Blythe. You said that the the smart people out there they can sniff that out. They know if they're in a if they're in some kind of an, a batched email sequence or something like that. The only time I think it should ever be 
uh, cookie cutter like that is if you're signed up for like a newsletter or something that you, you expect to get cookie cutter material sent to you that is, you know, everyone's getting the same thing. It's not personalized to you. You should know when you sign up for that. If you put your name in a contact form and you know you're a qualified lead for that company, if I, I don't know, if I get a templated thing back, I get pissed. Like I, I did it with a, a, like financial advisors last year. I was moving from one company to another. And I had to move my 401k. And I like reached out to like five of them. And the one guy sent me back this templated thing, wanted me to fill out some survey and all this information. I'm like, what? The other guy calls me. He's like, Nate, hey, how are you? Starts talking to me. I'm like, this dude makes me feel way like he, I, I matter way more to this guy than I do the other guy that just sent me some botched email. So it, it's a good so, point. I, and I, I think it's another topic that on the same kind of topic that I'm curious to get some insight into is I'd say probably the other biggest question we get asked from our audience is what do you put in the follow-up packet, right? That every shipper asks the broker for at some point Send in time, me your right? information. Yeah. And, you know, Nate and I talk a lot about a lot of the times this is a blow off. Um, I would say probably the majority, but there are absolutely cases where like you should have something, you need to send something, you need to be able to have some professional, you know, piece of collateral that you're going to send. But I would also say that most of the ones that I've read seem very braggy and not relevant to the shipper's point of view or the customer or who should be the customer's point of view, right? It's all from the logistics companies like, hey, look at all these features that we have. It does the this. Fastest and you can growing do this. and you know, fastest blah, growing, blah. quickest hiring, been in business the longest. We're also a family and blah, blah. And you're like, but none of that is relevant to the problem or what you're trying to find or suss out from that prospect, right? Where, where's some of your guidance? Do you do anything with that? Is there an approach to that? Do you kind of think of the same way you use kind of like your lingo library when you put this together? How do you kind of work through that? So when I have conversations with, with prospects or, or clients, it's one of those things where I want to put them in what's called an ICP, an ideal customer profile. And so then that way I can build off of those different. So, so in my lingo library, I break it down even more where I have different ICPs. I have about three ICPs that, that are in my lingo library, and I will put those different remarks underneath each of those ICPs. And so from that, the next phase for me is to build out content that I already have created, or maybe it's content that I found on the web that I think is useful from folks like yourself, um, anybody else that, that's out here creating content. And I create these resources for these different prospects, for these different ICPs. And so then that way, it's not just me sending along a packet of this is how great I am. It's sending along information of, hey, other people have had those same questions as you, and this is how we answered it. Or this is a good answer to that same question. Either you're asking now or you're probably going to ask in the future. Because that's another issue that, that we deal with in marketing is that not everybody knows that they're dealing with a problem. Not everybody knows that just because you have a website, it's great, but is it fast? It, can Google find it? Do you have a Google My Business page? Are you tracking any visitors that come to your site? Are you tracking the calls that come to your site? Um, so not everybody knows those intricacies and those problems. And so presenting it in a way that is based off a particular ICP, I think goes a lot further. I would also add as a bonus that if they're if you're kind of getting the message that, hey, this person is going to try to blow me off, or maybe it's not the right time for them, which fine, but connect with them on social media. And then that way, if you're posting to social media on a regular basis, 
then they're still going to see your stuff, whether they like it or not. I mean, hopefully they see your stuff um, and that they you continuously stay on top of mind, because even though they weren't ready to make that buying decision when you were talking to them eight months from now, something might happen where and that'll build familiarity you. with who you are in your company, too. I think that's huge. Exactly. It's, it's an example of an ICP, like even from a general standpoint on what are some examples of info that you would put in there? So like a one ICP that I deal with is a carrier with more than 300 trucks. Um, what are they experiencing? Obviously, if you have more than 300 trucks, you have some unique challenges. If you, the overwhelming majority of carriers though, I think in the country, something like 90% of the carriers in the country have uh, nine trucks or less or seven trucks or less. So they're dealing with completely different problems than what the person at the 300 trucks or more are dealing with. Um, so I'll break it down like that. Um, as far as three PLs are concerned, I think it's more segment based. And with particular 3PLs, the really the only thing that they're doing with their sites is using it for recruiting. Um, there's not many shippers that are searching the internet to find, sure, a, broker. find a broker. Yeah. Yep. And that's the thing. Like you have to adjust your, your marketing based off of the habits of your end user and then reverse engineer it. So for say a 300 plus carrier, they're going to have particular problems with recruiting. Um, they need to streamline a lot of their efforts. Perhaps they've dabbled in content marketing and they don't know where to go from here. Um, how to use user-generated content, whereas the the company with 10 trucks or less, they're not even thinking about content right now. They just want to keep their business afloat. Um, so how could they just get a bare bones minimum website in order to have drivers potentially find them and then maybe submit an application on their website? Not the the nuts and bolts of API integrations and, and content integrations and syndication that maybe you know a 300 truck uh, profile or more will have. Um, so that's a, a couple of different examples of, of different ICPs because both of those are, are dealing with completely different issues and, and completely different struggle points. That's such a good point. And I think a lot of brokers, especially when they're new, Ben, they think I, I need to approach every prospect the same way. Because you think about it, people ask us like, what do I say when I call a prospect? And every prospect, and you can you can break them down in so many different categories of what, Blythe, what you're calling the ICP. And it could be what commodity or industry are they in? Are they in building materials? Are they in food and beverage? Are they in last mile white glove expedited stuff? Um, and then like, what size are they? Are they a mom and pop shop who they have one location and the owner is the one approving all the transportation costs? Or is it a, a mega company that has a logistics department with procurement folks and logistics coordinators and all this stuff? There's very, very different challenges uh, and scopes of work for people that fall into those different categories like that. So you said ICP, that was your um, ind- or ideal customer profile. Is that what you call yes. it? Okay. Cool. It's basically like a buyer persona, but yeah. I feel like buyer personas, I, I don't know. It, it's almost like an icky word now because you can't really fit everybody into a typical buyer persona bucket, which is, yeah. I think, where a lot of, of MarTech vendors have sort of pushed a lot of marketers to is develop your buyer personas when in reality, or develop your, your buyer personas first and then figure out how your customers fit into it. When in reality, you should let your customers define those those profiles yeah. for you. Only and then Apple's you allowed to marketing. do it the other way around. It's right? so right. funny you said that, right? Like we were talking with Lean, who, you know, one of our sponsors, it's going to be doing a lot of our content work with us and helping manage this through different channels. And that was exactly what we said yesterday because the company doing our Google search ad work, um, they're going to do all these metrics over the next 90 days. 
And then they were like, well, you know, they literally asked us, you know, what's your buyer persona? And I said, I was like, well, we don't know what it is. Like, we're going to throw a net over the entire North America. They will drill down in it. But within 60 days, we should probably know who's purchasing our products. Like we can see this now. And once we then have that, then we'll create it. But from like to try to, it's literally the cart before the horse, right? You're like, well, I don't know if literally anybody's going to buy it. So how am I supposed to determine what the persona is? Because it could literally be anybody from the start. Yep. And that's why I think like, for example, someone who's a, a W2 broker, they're new at a, at a larger company. It's not a terrible idea to prospect the market that your brokerage is already successful in because they're they're good at handling the issues that customers run into, right? They already have an established carrier base in that realm. So if it's like produce, you've already got a, lot, a big fleet of reefer carriers. Um, you know how to deal with claims and, and inspections and stuff like that. Um, but not to say you should never branch out from that. Cause Ben, obviously you had a lot of success from being the, the trailblazer back in but the day. But it's the same but, thing. It's yeah. the same premise. You just said, someone asked me about that earlier this week, like why I ended up in the industries I was then. And I said, to be honest at that time, I leveraged the assets that they had. Like that was why I was in Dreyage. Like I leveraged, you know, that big brokerages carrier base, or maybe they didn't really have it yet, but they were big enough that I knew I could sell their size to another very big company and then build the rest. Right. And I think that's a great way to look at this. Like you stay in your lane in regards to where you're going, but you look for areas to expand from there. Right. You just don't randomly start walking in different directions to see which seems to make the most sense. And that's a great point that that can be applied to to marketing as well, because when people think, well, where do I even get started with marketing? They just think, well, at first, I'm going to create an Instagram. I'm going to get a Twitter. I'm going to get a Facebook. I'm going to get a LinkedIn. I'm going to get maybe even a TikTok and YouTube. That's six platforms that you have to manage that have nuances and graphic needs and uh, different verbiage that they use and different trends that, that are popping off. With marketing, if, if you're even thinking about getting your marketing started, you need to start with one platform and start, I would say one social media platform and then one owned platform. So owned meaning your website, your podcast, or an email list. Those are the only three platforms you're ever going to own in your in your digital life. So I would start with one owned and then one that you're renting. And you know, keep it in mind, LinkedIn, uh, TikTok, YouTube, all of those are rented land that you're using as a way to distribute your That's ultimate or, or your goal, your, your end goal message. Yeah. And it it absolutely, I mean, it makes so much sense. It's like, well, because I think what people only think, and it's a, it's a question of, you don't know what you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think at first it's, and it makes a rational sense to spread your efforts across these things to see what works. But the reality is, is once you get into it, and I think I'm nowhere near where you are, but we're far enough along into it that once we got to the metric side and you have to start evaluating what works, it is a tremendous amount of work and learning curve to understand each platform's metric, what works, how you get engagement, how you get conversion, what's functioning, what isn't, how you tailor that. And that is a tremendous lift to be doing that in different platforms at the same time. Like right. it, it really is a lot of work. It's impossible and you'll you'll burn yes. yourself out. I, I, it's happened to me. It's happened to countless other people. You, you think your heart's in the right place. You, you want to try to reach as many people as possible, right? But 
when you do that, you spread yourself too thin. You don't really learn what is working well on that one particular platform. But if you do the reverse and you learn what works really well on one platform, then if and when, probably when that platform goes away, you've developed a skill set that they can, that's transferable to any other new platform that may pop up. You know, Facebook isn't what it used to be. I know companies that built their that Facebook told them to build a Facebook page. Don't build a website. You don't need that. Come over to us. Build your page here. Yeah, put it they, all here. They got all these fans. They probably spent money to get fans to, to like their page. And then what did Facebook decide to do? They shut it all off and they shut your awareness off. And now you got to pay money in order to access that same audience. And so wow. it, when, when situations like that happen, it, it just it's so very frustrating. But it's the same model that all of these platforms either follow now or they will follow eventually. And so the, the good news is that if they're you maturity, if, right, yeah, like if, they're growing. Facebook used that to grow once they got to the size they needed. I don't want to say they're plateauing, but they went into the stabilization, stabilization and monetization. Right. We got all the people. Everybody's here. All right. Now let's start billing everybody. The free the free ride stops. Start paying some of the bills and you don't own it. Like you said, you're just renting space. Right. It's so it's so common in so many companies as they start up, you'll see that. So. Well, good stuff. We, we could talk marketing all day long. We got three questions here from Q&A, but first I got to make a shout out to our friends over at Lean Solutions Group. So obviously the, the four big divisions of Lean, you got staffing where you can get nearshore options for additional bodies and seats for your brokerage. You've got tech to help develop your website. You've got the marketing team, which Ben and I are currently working with for marketing Freight 360. Like we said, we we drink the Kool-Aid that we always talk about. And obviously, lean sales if you're looking for account managers or, or folks um, to work in that realm. But check them out at leangroup.com. Obviously, we've had Trey on here in the past, and we'll get him on here again soon to talk about all the, all the great stuff out there in the sales and marketing and tech and staffing world. So leangroup.com, there's a link in the show notes. Okay. Three questions here. And Blythe, we're going to definitely have to get you back on down the road to, to talk more marketing because it's not my niche. Obviously, that's sure. why Ben and I hired Lean because it's it's not it's not the specialty of our wheelhouse. And you seem to, to be pretty good and proficient at it. So. I've, I've used Lean before in, in the past and they were great. Uh, they they still I got to reach out to them again now that I, I think about it. I got some things cooking up and I need some <laughs> I need some help. Need that's some the best. Hands. You know, what's funny is like. Ben, we use them for our website and then we ran into our next problem. We're like, oh, Lean can help us out. And they can. It's awesome. And if they can't, you know, they like, for example, when it came to like Google Analytics and all that stuff, like they hooked us up with a, uh, a vendor that a trusted vendor of theirs. So um, good stuff. All right. First question here today uh, is what is stopping some brokers from going the agent route? So the, the question elaborated more saying like, I don't understand, like you can make all this commission like the higher commission percentage, why wouldn't someone just be an agent instead of, you know, being W2 and making less? Um, I'm going to give a couple answers to this, a couple pointers and reasons why. So number one, straight up, some people just don't trust themselves enough and they're not confident enough to go straight commission. They refuse to give up that base salary or that draw or whatever's there because they, they will not bet on themselves. Um, so they feel more comfortable making less money, but being guaranteed something. So that's one reason. Number two could be a non-compete, non-solicit. They might have a book of business, but they can't take it somewhere else and go be a, a 1099 agent. Um, another another option is people don't know what a freight agent is. And Blythe, you were just saying you you spent some time at the Armstrong Transport Group uh, agent conference. Um, was it like two weeks ago? And hey, for all full disclosure, I work for Pierce Worldwide Logistics, another agent-based company. 
Armstrong's a competitor of mine, but I got a buddy who works there. So it's all good. <laughs> and they're, they're a good company from what I hear. But uh, how was that seeing like, you know, all the agents and stuff down there? I mean, these are, these are business owners, they're entrepreneurs, but they're, they're just doing the same freight broker job as everyone else. Yeah, it, it was awesome to see because the, a lot of them are are similar to me. They're similar to other entrepreneurs out there. They they want to work for themselves. They they want to set their own hours. I mean, obviously, that that sort of give and take depending on either type of customer that you you. It's, even though you're an entrepreneur, somebody is paying your bills. Um, so you always yep. technically have a boss um, and your boss should usually is your customer. Um, so, but for learning from them and hearing some of their stories, I, I you know, I was, I was blessed enough to be able to give it, uh, you know, a, a lead up a, a panel discussion with, with three of their top tier agents. And two of them had faced a situation where they were part of an agent program and that agent program went out of business. Ooh. And so they were just left to just left out there yeah, to go sort of find like fish someone out of else water. to work basically. Yeah. Right. And that was so terrifying for them, but they knew that the, the value of the agent partnership, which is the back office, you, you get the, you know, the communication help, which as an entrepreneur, it's very, sometimes it can be very lonely. And so yeah. being able to have that agent partner that you can call up their leadership team and say, Hey, you know, what are you guys working on technology? Um, all of these investments that you would have to make yourself insurance, which is crazy and no signs of slowing down as far as cost is concerned, but all of these costs you have help with. And so hearing, you know, what those agents did. And, and one thing that, that stuck, stuck out to me is that they interviewed the current agents before they joined Armstrong, they interviewed other agents within the company. And so they found out they got their questions answered. Are they, are they going to be a business long-term or do they have, what kind of technology are they using? Cause that's another challenge. You have to start up a whole new TMS. You got to get your customers acclimated to a new TMS or, or any kind of new tracking software. Um, all of those things you have to factor in before you make the jump to another agent program. Um, and, and so just hearing their stories from going from the bottom back to the top yep. again, was really, really inspiring because I think for a lot of people, you know, once you, once you kind of, it's, it's almost like a, a significant other situation. If they hurt you, it takes a while for you to start dating again. Right. Yeah. And, and I think yep. that that was a similar situation for them where it was uh, oh, well, I, I don't know if I can trust this next company because I trusted this one and they, they faltered. How can I be sure to trust this one or this new one? And and one of the key things that that stuck out to me was um, really the, the partnership benefits, the technology benefits, and then also the agent giving them a clear roadmap of of where they're going, not only now but in the future. And so th- those are the few things that that stuck out to me. So you brought up so many good points there, and I don't want to I don't want to talk the agent program thing all day long, but. I always tell people this and I even like, I, I recruit agents for, for my company. Um, and I always encourage people check out whatever else is out there. Don't give up on your search just because you think that we're a good fit. Talk to the other companies out there. Think about how that conversation goes with the person you're talking to from that company. Do you think you could, would you be a good fit with them? Ask them these questions, talk to some of their existing agents. And I always say how, find out how long they've been in business because just like a, a, a trucking company, if they've been around for three months versus three decades, it shows a different level of long-term, long-term sustainability. And also, what is their growth been? If they shrunk during that time, are they on a downward trajectory or are they growing and adding agency, growing their back office? Because that's huge. I have I've dealt with the same thing with folks is they're like, my company shut the doors. I got to find somewhere like right now. And it's almost like, 
you're better off taking the the two to three days that you're not going to be making money to find the right home than to find a home and then have to switch a month later because you realize it's not the right home for you. So right. good stuff. All right. Uh, next question. How do I calculate fuel surcharge when I'm quoting a customer? Um, ben, did you ever deal with fuel surcharge? Hey, there's our acronym, FSC, fuel FSC. surcharge. Did you ever deal with yeah. uh, quoting using a fuel surcharge? I know a yeah, lot of time in bids, it'll be in, in there. Drayage and in bids. I mean, I use it, but it's usually from the shipper's point of view. So, I mean, yeah. every time I've had to do it, like it's provided there are yep. benchmarks. So, I mean, you can use DAT has a benchmark and I'm pretty sure there's a national benchmark. There is. There's a well. national one. I think it comes out every Monday. And then a yeah. lot of the folks will um, add it to their analytics on Tuesdays. Um, but at the end of the day, your shipper is either going Always to have the their own provided schedule of fuel surcharge, or they're going to use the national average. And if you don't know what a fuel surcharge is, it's a way to, like, if you're doing a bid or something like that, and the customer wants you to be able to go, you know, let's say you don't have a crazy, uh, you know, economy like right now where the the line haul rates are double what they usually are say it's fairly standard and it just fluctuates based on what is diesel cost right yeah they will say if diesel costs three dollars and 18 cents a gallon to three dollars and 24 cents a gallon we will pay you i'm just gonna make this up like 24 cents per mile as your fuel surcharge and then it goes up as diesel goes up and it goes down as diesel goes down so it helps a variable uh pro, it helps you give a a long-term commitment on your line haul rate and adjusting for variable diesel prices. So I, my recommendation is always find out if your customer has a published schedule that they use or if they use the national average. And if they don't have anything and they don't have an answer to that, they probably aren't going to ask you to quote them with a fuel An FSC. Exactly. If they have it and they're using it, they will provide it. They'll tell you which metric to benchmark it. And you can see even when you get into DAT, when you quote stuff, they will show you, they will actually pull the fuel out even on historic data. Yeah. So if you do happen to have a customer that wants you to quote without fuel, you can see line haul minus fuel service charge, even when you're quoting. So yeah. Like even if you like, even with like that power, if you run a certain lane, you get that, um, that historical rate, snapshot it'll you can do it in just a line haul rate and it'll break it down like i'm sorry an all-in rate which will show you like line haul and fuel totaled up to give you that rate or you can do like a per mile so it'll show you like your line haul per mile and your fuel surcharge uh per mile as well so um i'm a huge here's the deal if you're in the spot market don't even doesn't matter mess with fuel surcharge just do all in rates right they're they're quotes <laughs> the bids and you can make it the better but hey, if a customer has a big bid and you want to bid on, you know, 10 or 12 lanes that you think you're strong in, you might have to you might have to work in that fuel surcharge arena. So it is what it is. All right. Um, last question. What VoIP, here's another acronym, voice over IP. What VoIP <laughs> system should I use as a small brokerage or agency? Um, so Blythe, I'm actually curious. Are, are you big on like uh, telecom systems or anything like that? Do you ever have people try to figure out like, hey, I, I need a phone system. I don't, does that fall into marketing at all or is that more? Uh... I have handled that kind of in the past, but I, I have vendors that, that I will okay. go to it, it, yeah. with, with VoIP in particular. Um, but I do follow because one guy that I, I, I love his marketing um, or just the brain behind the marketing is Nextiva. Um, that, that's a, a, a VoIP program, okay. um, but their marketing is fantastic. So if you want to see some good uh, voice marketing, I guess if I, th- nobody wants to see that, but they do a good job. <laughs> well, if you want to see well, good marketing, you. you can check it out regardless. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> 
But I will tell you, I mean, that I kind of ask the same questions now that Nate asks about agents because I had a VoIP um, in my office. Actually, the one I had previous to the company I use now um, had horrible service. It never functioned and they eventually went out of business. And I was just like left with a phone, didn't know they went out of business. It was and it was just like I got referred into them by somebody I knew locally, but also didn't know they had only been in business like 12 months mm-hmm. before I had, you know, picked them up and gave me a decent deal. And then it just was a huge issue. So, so again, vet whoever yeah. it is you're going to choose. So two of the big companies that I see used a lot, and I'm not vouching for either one, but like Ring Central is a big one and Vonage, right? Vonage was obviously one of the original VoIP systems out there. If you don't know what VoIP is, instead of plugging a phone into a landline at your house or office, it is having a phone that just plugs in using an Ethernet cable to the internet and it's over your internet. So your IP. Voice over internet protocol. Yep. Or protocol, whatever IP, another acronym, right? But the the whole thing that I love about these VoIP systems is if you're an agent, right, or you're a one man or one woman broker, um, one of the reasons that you wanted to be an entrepreneur is because you can be flexible. You can work from anywhere. Those VoIP systems, you could unplug and plug them into any other internet spot, right? And you're up and running. Your phone number is the same. You're good to go. Yeah. So what I would also elaborate on that is look at what they offer because there's probably different tiers of their service. As a freight broker, you probably don't want one single line with no, you know, you can't put anyone on hold or anything like that. You should be able to, like a lot of them offer like up to 10 lines, 20 bucks a month. It's, they're not, they're not expensive at all. It's cheap. And it's not using your cell phone, right? You're not using your own personal phone for all your work stuff, but you can forward it to your cell phone if you want to. You know what I mean? That's the biggest piece of advice I would have for any broker. Like ring is pretty good, but you need a phone that allows you to manage multiple lines. Not like answering a call when somebody else calls you. I mean, like when you're booking a load or you're managing a lane and you get eight carriers that call in and then your customer calls in, you can't have a busy line. You need to be able to hold those, manage those. And second of all, I'm a huge advocate of having a different phone number for your business than your personal cell phone. Agreed. Yep. You give your personal cell phone to the customers and the people that have earned that value to be able to reach you 24-7. You should not be publishing your personal cell phone, in my opinion, to everybody you prospect that is randomly going to call you whenever like your personal life and your business life will just be completely blurred. Yep. Can I ask you a question? How does Google Voice fit into that? Because as you guys are talking, I have a Google Voice number and it's connected to a VoIP phone. Yes. Um, there's two lines on the phone, but I don't pay anything for for Google Voice. Or so you or had to buy your, you had to buy the hardware though, right? Yes. So, like, so, so I, I bought the Voice... phone and then the the little wireless what is it called? Uh, Polycom, which is mm-hmm. I, I plug the phone into Polycom and then Polycom picks up on the Wi-Fi, and so that's how I have an office line. Yeah. Um, so separate I think from I think Google Google Voice is um, like a lot of things you can get basic stuff for free. Like, mm. so you, yeah, you so said you get like two lines or whatever. Um, with some of the more sophisticated VoIP systems, you'll have a, um, a really cool, and I'm, I'm pretty sure Google has a watered down version of this, but you'll have an actual like uh, window you can pull up on your screen that'll have all your contacts in there. It'll have all your voicemails in there. It'll, it's, uh, it's got your history. You can park calls, you can transfer calls. Uh, 
And they also work with extensions too. Or I think Google Voice is just a single phone number, right? Mm. So you can't have like extension one for sales, two for dispatch, three for, you know, carrier no, pay you, or whatever. You need different numbers or they're just going to charge you probably, right. I, I would think an extra fee to do all that. So I, I do think like a Google Voice or some of the other options out there for, it's basically a, a soft VoIP, I'd call it, unless mm. like you have a piece of hardware like that integrates with it. Um I think that's maybe a free starter option for certain people, but when you're running a brokerage and you have you need to have multiple lines available, mm-hmm. I think you're gonna you're gonna want to spend the the twenty bucks a month or whatever it is to have all the available options that are necessary for your business. And as sure. you have more employees, and maybe there's you know four folks in your office, they're gonna want their own extension and be able to forward stuff for each of their own extensions. And um, yeah, it's I think there's just more. I think there's just more functionality it's and just more robust. Form. Yeah. And the yeah. biggest thing with a brokerage, like, cause I've had ring as running the coaching business and you get one line and that's fine. Cause as a business like that, you really only need to talk to one person and somebody might call you. Right. But on the brokerage side, when you're talking to multiple carriers and you're literally posting things to field phone calls, you need to be able to handle mm-hmm. a number of them at any one time. One of the other tips I'd throw in there too, and whether whether you're using your cell phone or a VoIP system, um, I would highly recommend with all the robocalling and stuff out there, if you're afraid of like unknown numbers, pay like the three bucks a month to get the caller ID so you can see yeah. which company, if you see like, oh, ABC Trucking is calling versus um, Jamie with dealer services because your car warranty is about to expire. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to know, like I need to answer this call. And it's a very small expense that, you get one load covered, it's going to pay for itself for like years. So little stuff like that. But uh, well, good stuff. Good, uh, good discussion. We'll definitely dig more into marketing down the road with you, Blythe. Awesome. Awesome having you on. Um, how do folks get a hold of uh, you and Digital Dispatch if they want to they want to dig more into it with you? Sure. So th- first of all, thank you guys for having me on the show. Big fan uh, of your guys' content. Um, if folks want to follow more of my work, they can check out the Digital Dispatch podcast. Um, search it in your in your favorite app. I use my clips from all the, the, the Cyberly episodes that appear on Freight Waves TV every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. I take my favorite clips from those shows and then I upload it to the podcast. You can also search for Cyberly too. They have their own pod, uh, podcast feeds. Um, and then as far as social media, I'm, I I know I just preached this, but I do have a few different accounts. Um, so I'm on TikTok, uh, LinkedIn primarily. And then I also have a YouTube presence. All of those are linked on the digitaldispatch.io website. So you can find all of those there or just simply by searching Blythe Brum or DigiDispatch. Nice. Awesome. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, Ben, do you have any final thoughts? I won't be on next week. You're going to be on with uh, the freight coach, Chris Jolly. Nice. Yeah. And a little preemptive congratulations. Nate will be a father for number two. Oh, well, congrats. Next week. Yep. Coming next week. So, but hey, I'll still be doing the editing and posting of the, the episode. I, I, I feel like I'm I'm not able to shut off my work mind, but my wife would absolutely kill me if I was in the hospital trying to record a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> Live stream the, I like to call it because my wife's having a C-section. I like to call it the extraction mm. of my second child. <laughs> Wasn't it like DJ Khaled that he tried to film uh, the birth of his son and his wife pretty much cussed him out and kicked him out of the delivery room? I did not know that. But speaking (laughs) of DJ Khaled, since it's my number two, if I was broadcasting, I'd be like, another one. (laughs) Good stuff. Good stuff. (laughs) Well, Ben, final Uh, thoughts. Whether you believe you can or believe you can't, you're right. Until next time, go Bills. Go Bills.
That wraps up this episode of Freight 360. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to check out all the other episodes for even more great content. Check out the show notes for links to any articles and content that we referenced on this episode. Visit us on the web at www.freight360.net. And if you'd like to learn more about a new home for your agency, contact me directly. And if you'd like to learn more about me coming out to run a free complimentary sales training for your team, check me out on LinkedIn or again at www.freight360.net.